0: Hello, new legacy, Lyndon and friends. I am so glad to be with you to record this sermon. This is actually take two because I tried to record it last night (laughs) while hanging out and just lounging in bed, quarantine mode. And I recognized after recording everything, that I thought I was recording, but I wasn't actually recording, and so this is take two. I'm so glad that you are with us today. We are a home church located in Linden, Washington, and we are all about gathering, growing, and going together. If New Legacy Linden is your church community, we thank you so much for your faithful giving to the community um and if you are listening and you do not go to home church but you want to support the mission and vision of seeing home churches in whatcom county we would love it if you would go to newlegacylinden.com go to the support page and give thank you so much everyone for your faithful giving we have been able to be so generous in this season with the pandemic um, because of the way we've structured our church. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We have a lot of things going on every week for you to do. Um, the feedback that we've gotten from a lot of our community or the people in our home church is that um, more stuff to just have more stuff is not ideal. But I wanted to st- strategically provide opportunities for um, different age groups in our in our home church. So on Tuesdays we have Good News Club for your kiddos. You can go to our church group on faithlife.com or our website to learn more information. On Wednesdays we have Youth Hangout with Tanner. You can also go to our website for more information. This is just going to be a really great time to have your teenagers connect and just hang out digitally. We know that it's not the same But honestly, Tanner has just been killing it with um, creating a space for people to get to know each other. And then on Thursdays, we have our digital night takeaways. And this is where we encourage people to listen to the sermon ahead of time. That's why our sermon recording will always be posted before 3 p.m. on Wednesday. So we have more than enough time by Thursday night just to connect with one another and talk about what stood out for us in the sermon. So we would love for you to join us. Please go to our website for more information. Our website is www.newlegacylinden.com. Today we're continuing our series in Matthew, and we're in Matthew 16, and we're focusing in on verses 1 through 12. And before I hop into reading the word of God, I would like to say a prayer. Lord, you are so good and you are so gracious, God. I thank you for this opportunity to lead um, New Legacy Linden and to be in community with some of the most incredible people I have ever encountered in my life. God, thank you for that blessing. Um, God, I pray that you would give us perspective and endurance in this hard time. And God, I pray that you would speak to us in the middle of our hardship, and you would reveal yourself, and we would choose to be light in the darkness and voices of hope in a very, um, in a season where so many feel hopeless. We thank you for your word. We thank you um, for just who you are. And God, I pray that I would not get in the way of what you want to speak to people today in your word. All right, church. Amen. (laughs) Amen. All right, church, let's get into Matthew 16, verses 1 through 12. One day, the Sad, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. He replied, you know the saying, red skies at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interp- interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the time. Only an evil and adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. And the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. Later, after they crossed to the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered they had forgotten to bring any bread. Watch out, Jesus warned them. Beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, you have so little faith. Why are you arguing with each other about having no bread? Don't you understand even yet? Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves and the baskets of leftovers you picked up? Or the 4,000 I fed with seven loaves and the large baskets of leftovers you picked up? Why can't you understand that I am not talking about bread? So again, I say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then at last they understood that he wasn't speaking about the yeast and the bread, but about the deceptive teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So let's just start breaking down the section of scripture. Um, while I was preparing and praying and studying for this message, Y'all, I got stuck on verse one for a hot, hot minute because I feel like even in this verse where it says, one day the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus, demanding that he shows a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. There were three things that stood out to me in this one verse. That the Pharisees and the Sadducees came with intention. And even though their heart was wrong, they came to Jesus with expectation and intentionality. And that really challenged me because I began to think, even though their heart was in the wrong place, that they were trying to test and challenge Jesus, they came to him intentionally. And I felt deeply convicted because oftentimes I can be pretty willy-nilly with my time with God that I can be pretty willy-nilly and whatever and have a whatever attitude when I come to Jesus. But if anything, this verse shows me is that I should come with intentionality, even if the intentionality is to simply be with him. That their heart was in the wrong place, but my heart posture needed to be in the right place which is the desire to seek the Lord and know him. And so, even, so in verse one, they came with a purpose. And our purpose when we come to Jesus should be to be with him, to learn from him and to grow in that, that intimate space of relationship with Jesus. The second thing that I noted and I kind of recognized about the religious leaders of the time is they got real hot and bothered. They got upset because Jesus was challenging their expectation and idea of what the Messiah would be, what and who God is. They did not like being challenged. In their faith and their understanding because they were the people that held everyone to an insane religious standard. So when someone comes in and teaches, tries to teach them, they're not about it. And we can look at the religious leaders of the time and think that they're fools and idiots for how they treated Jesus. But if we quiet down our judgment, I think we can easily see how we can easily be consumed by religious regulations of do's and don'ts instead of living and loving in faith. And a good indicator of where you fall between the two is whether or not you get bothered and upset when someone asks hard questions or makes you dig deeper into why you believe what you believe. Because guess what, church? The world is asking really hard questions. And unless we are committed to studying the word of God, being and seeking wisdom from God, we will not have the answers to, ans- to, to give to the world and their hard questions. Because we can easily be offended and upset, hot and bothered, because maybe we're not used to having someone ask us hard questions. Because possibly hard questions makes us realize how weak our faith is. So ask yourself, do you get hot and bothered, upset, unhappy when someone asks us hard questions? Or says something that challenges your faith? And the third point that I picked from, like that I got from verse one. And guys, we're going through 12 verses today, but we're just on verse one right now. Is that God is moving. It is obvious. And it is our decision on whether or not we want to see it. If we want to see the miracles. If we want to see um, what God is doing in the midst of our community is our decision because if it wasn't, this wasn't an incident where they, this is the first time they have seen Jesus do these things. Throughout the book of Matthew, even leading up to this point, there were several encounters with religious leaders where they would challenge Jesus and they would ask him and To prove himself. And they would be upset that he was even in their midst. They were unwilling to see what Jesus was doing. They were blind. But what the irony is that they were spiritually blind. Yet they demanded to see. And I think that there is no better time than now. For the church. And I'm not talking about the building. I am talking about us as the people. Where we have to intentionally choose to see God in the midst of this hardship. See God in the midst of the pandemic. See how God is moving and growing his people right now. And we would become voices of hope. People of peace. And we would be light in the dark. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Were the religious leaders of the day. They essentially were the bodies of religious people that would help dictate how people were to interpret the word of the the, the law and how to apply it. But if you're like me, you didn't grow up in the church, these are not titles of religious groups that you have heard before. Then I wanted to stop here and let's just provide some context. Because at New Legacy Linden, we are not just about doing surface level topical teaching where we don't dig deep in, I think it is so important that we teach the word of God in context. And I love what we are able to do because we are able to pause and dig deeper. And so let's talk about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, the Pharisees represented the larger religious community. They lived life according to the smallest details of oral and scribal law. So just think about law on law on law. So if they gave you the gift of law, they wrapped it in a box of law, they put on a bow of law, and then they put it in another box of law because they just wanted people to follow these rules on rules on rules. The Sadducees did not live according to the smallest details of oral scribal law. In fact, they only ascribed to the written words of the Torah as their law of life. The Pharisees believed in angels and resurrection, whereas the Sadducees did not. That's possibly one of their biggest theological differences between these two religious groups. The Pharisees were not a political group. And in fact, they were willing to live under any government that allowed them to practice their own religious um, principles. Whereas the Sadducees, they were a smaller group of wealthy wealthy aristocratic people religious people, and they were prepared to serve and cooperate with the Roman government so they could retain their wealth and privileges. And lastly, the Pharisees longed for the return of the Messiah, whereas the Sadducees were not. The Pharisees longed for rescue and restoration. They longed for the Messiah, and he was right in front of them. And they did not see and they did not believe because Jesus was not their expectation, their messianic expectation. Some theologians believe that the Pharisees, their idea of what their Messiah would be, would be very similar to King David. Strong, had an army, had resources, and he would ride in and throw down on whatever government was oppressing them. Jesus came, born of the Virgin Mary, in a cave in a town that people said nobody relevant came from. He was right in front of the Pharisees, and they chose not to see the very thing they longed for their Messiah. They did not see because their Messiah did not fit in the box that they have created for him. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were two very different religious groups. And they became, they came together and they were united based on their hostility and desire to eliminate Jesus. It's really interesting how hostility can really unite people just like it united the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So Jesus replied to them, You know the saying, Red skies at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red skies in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret all the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. Only an evil and adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. He calls them out. He's saying, you can look at the sky and be like, oh, red sky means this. Okay. That they could look up into creation and predict the things to come, yet they could not see what was right in front of them. That we can easily forget that the natural always points to the supernatural. That all of creation cries out about the majesty of God. That all creation, all natural thing, mountains, rivers, grass, fields, all these things. I live in the most beautiful place in the United States of America, the Pacific Northwest. Where I can drive 30 minutes one way and see water. And I can drive 30 minutes the other way and see mountains. We have valleys. We just have such beautiful, natural worlds. And all of creation is crying out and acknowledging the creator. And somehow nature all works together when we don't jack it up. But nature works together to cry out the singular, singular purpose, which is the point to God. And it was created for us to care for and enjoy. Yet we say there is no God. I believe that it takes more faith to, be, to It. I believe that it takes more faith to believe that one giant explosion created all the things and spiraled atoms and all molecules, everything to create. What we see and experience right in front of us. One giant explosion that just happened to create the perfect balance for life itself. People ask, how can you believe in God? That just seems like so much faith. I say, how can you believe that this was an accident? As we look at beautiful mountains and rivers and the ocean, how can we believe that it wasn't God, that the natural world, the natural points to the supernatural. And Jesus not only calls them out, but he calls them blind because they could not see what was in front of him, in front of them. So he refers to Jonah the prophet. And I know that when we talk about the the prophet Jonah, which BT dubs, I highly resonate with Jonah. Because I often want to run away from what God is calling me to do. But I do it anyways because being obedient to God is always worth it. That's just a fun fact about me. It wasn't the whale that was the sign of the prophet Jonah. When he ran away because he didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach. God's message it was Jonah and his message that was the sign and right then in front of them Jesus and his message is the sign not the whale but the prophet and his message not the miracle but Jesus and his message and so he leaves them and it says later as they cross to the other side of the lake Jesus was just lake hopping all day Throughout his ministry, the disciples discovered they had forgotten to bring any bread. Watch out, Jesus warned. Beware the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, you have so little faith. Why are you arguing with each other about not having bread? Don't you remember Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with the five loaves and the basket of leftovers you picked up? Don't you remember the 4,000 I fed with seven loaves and the large baskets of leftovers you picked up? You see, an Orthodox Jew would not eat and take bread from the Gentile, and they were traveling to a largely Gentile region. And somebody didn't forget to pack the snacks. I'm just saying, if a mom was in that group, she would have probably had a whole bag of snacks. I hear they're freaking out because they don't have bread, and they were going to go to a Gentile region, and they couldn't eat the bread from the Gentiles. And Jesus has to call them out too, because clearly they forgot that they just had two miraculous feeding mirror, like events, the 5,000 and the 4,000, they were there with Jesus experiencing these things that they put their natural into the hands of Jesus. And it became supernatural. They took their ordinary and in the hands of Jesus, it became extraordinary. But somehow they were freaking out that they didn't have bread. So Jesus says, do you remember? And it's even easy to sit in our context and be like, man, these disciples were straight up fools. If we are to be honest with each other, I think it is easy for us to forget what God has done in our life because we focus so much on our circumstance that we forget the faithfulness and the majesty and the goodness of God. We forget what he will do and can do because we are so focused what is right in front of us that we do not remember what he has done. And if we do not remember what he has done, then we will not have faith for what he can do today and what he will do tomorrow. So do you remember what God has done for you? Because when you remember what he has done for you, you will have the faith to believe in what he can do today in your relationships, in your marriage, in your hardship, in your family. He will do greater things. But we must have the faith and the audacity and the discipline. To recall and worship of the things that God has done in our past so we can have that faith for our future. That it will be so easy for us to forget and become blind, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So when Jesus was talking about the yeast in actual in Greek translation, it it actually makes more sense if we call it leaven. That leaven is a piece of fermented dough in which bread cannot be, like if it didn't have leaven, the bread would not bake. So the disciples' minds were fixed on the bread and he's calling them out because they forgot what he can do. They were thinking that Jesus was telling them that it would be bad to get food on the other side. Their, Their mind was set on bread, bread, like actual bread. The physical, the literal bread. And Jesus say saying, no. The leaven, the yeast that I am talking about from the Pharisee is the metaphorical meaning of the symbol of penetrative power of evil. That it is the evil influence of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The evil influence of the religious spirit and the religious heart. Jesus says, why can't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? Bread, bread, physical bread, carbs. So again, I say, beware of the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then at last, they understood. Oh, church, I am believing we are going to have a lot of, at last, we understood. Those moments where our eyes open and we see what God is doing. So that at last they understood that he wasn't speaking about the yeast or leaven in the bread, but about the deceptive teaching of the Pharisees. The deceptive, in some translations, is the evil influence. The evil teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, you only need a little yeast or a little leaven to work its way into the entire dough. I'm not a baker. In fact, I hate to bake because it requires more precision and detail than I want to give to anything. So I don't like to bake, but I've baked enough to know that when you're baking with even like four cups of flour, you only need a couple teaspoons, teaspoons of yeast. And with the right conditions, the yeast will flourish. So it just takes a little bit to go a long way in the right conditions. So if Jesus is warning them to beware of the yeast, the evil influence, the deceptive teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, I have to ask us, church, if with the right conditions, yeast will work its way through the dough and expand and infiltrate the dough, then what are the right conditions in your life that will allow the religious spirit to grow? What are the right conditions in your life right now or in the past or possibly even things that you could, you could do in the future that will allow the evil influence of the religious spirit, of the deceptive teachings, to grow in your life? Three things that stood out to me, and these were things that I've learned And I've seen in ministry, the first one, being overly critical with a consumer mindset. That it is easy to make faith and religion, church, something that you go to and criticize because it does not give you what you want to consume. Not being in the word of God daily. So it can renew your mind that when you are not in the word and you are not in worship, you're not in prayer, you're not intentionally seeking Jesus. You are beginning to create the right conditions in your life to allow the religious spirit to grow and thrive just like yeast and bread. And the last one, we talk about this a lot at home church. We call it Lyndon Lawn syndrome, where if you look good on the outside, no one's going to wonder about your inside. Irony is Jesus only cares about your inside. Cares about your heart. So caring more about what you look like religiously on the outside instead of having a change of heart and right intention on the inside, that begins to build and create the right conditions for the religious spirit to grow, for the deceptive teaching to weave itself and embed itself into the very fiber of your heart. And I end with this question. How do we intentionally cultivate the right heart to see Jesus? Because even in verse one, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came up all on Jesus and were like, they demanded a sign. They could not see what was right in front of yet. They demanded to see something that they wouldn't even believe if he showed them. So what are some of the things that we, you, me, can intentionally do to cultivate the right heart? You see, I'm not, I am not a green thumb. I don't like to garden. In fact, I hate weeding. I don't like to get dirty. But this year, I decided to make my dahlia dreams come true, and I planted seven dahlias. And last night, I went ham, and I I planted a lilac sprout. But here's the thing, in order to cultivate those plants to grow and thrive, I needed to intentionally follow some instructions from people who knew how to do this, and I needed to intentionally dig the hole, carefully plant the plant or the the tuber, I needed to gently place the dirt over it, secure it, make sure it waters, make sure I'm weeding around it, make sure that I protect it. That I didn't just throw the tuber on the ground, but I grow, Dahlia. I had to make intentional decisions to cultivate, so I can cultivate the plant to grow and thrive and blossom. And that is very much at like our faith that we have to intentionally cultivate the right heart, so that we can see Jesus, experience Jesus in the midst of this, or we can become like the religious leaders being blind. To what is right in front of us. So I end with encouragements for you. Things that I have been learning to do in my own life. A way that I intentionally cultivate my heart. Is through the word. Through worship. Through prayer. Through being in the word, being in worship, like listening to worship music, being mindful of what I'm putting in my eyes and my ears, and being in prayer, just communing with God. And it has helped me cultivate a heart that honors Jesus and sees him in the midst of this church. There is so much darkness right now, and I believe that we have an opportunity as Christians, as believers, as Christ's followers, to be hope, voices of hope, people of peace, and preachers of the gospel. Because we were all called to go and make disciples, not just me as the pastor, but all of us. I'm going to end this in prayer. Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness and faithfulness. We thank you so much that you are so patient with us when we do not see and we do not remember what you have done. God, forgive us for our hard hearts. Forgive us for our laziness of not intentionally seeking you. Thank you for the way you love us. Thank you for every person who is listening to this. I pray that they would be encouraged and challenged. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope that you are able to join us tomorrow night, Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. on our Zoom call to talk about just the takeaways from this message or discussing more of this message because that's possibly one of my favorite things that we do at House Church. I don't want you just to take all these things and these sermons that I preach. I want you to ask questions. I want you to dig deeper. I want you to grow It is an honor and a privilege for myself, for me, to be your pastor, to be the pastor of New Legacy, Linden. We love you. We miss you. We cannot wait to share a meal with you when this is over. Have a great, great day.